Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch, fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Hello and welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. I'm Chris Towers, joined by Scott. I, I, that was a weird intro. It sounded like I almost forgot my name. Scott White, how are you doing? I didn't notice anything. You made it weird just then. It was fine until then. That would be the the title of my life story, I think, is You Made It Weird. You Made It Weird. And especially when it comes to an introduction for a widely listened to podcast, I always want to make sure that it's as weird uh, as possible, just to make sure that people know what they're getting into. Well, so how are you doing tonight, Scott? There's no, no mysteries here. It's all on the table. How are you doing tonight, Scott? It's late. I'm doing fine. 9 Doing just great. Sleepers Breakouts busts up on the site. That's exciting. Always an exciting contribution to the preseason content. Yeah, we will talk about that a little later on this week. Go to cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball and get Scott White's Sleepers Breakouts and busts. Uh, let's, let's do a quick preview, though. What is the, the spiciest name in the Ooh. bust column? Ooh, the spiciest spicy names. names in there. Probably the guy going 19th overall on average, Fernando Tatis Jr. Wow. Is on my bust list. Now you can see why. It's you know, it's you know, don't don't go assuming things that I may not actually think. You have to actually read it to get the full context of what I'm trying to say. It's I know kind of a foreign concept to people today reading, but. You know, it, it'll all be explained there. People, people don't like to, uh, to find the, con- the, the context when you're doing those kind of things. You know, I, I, I did my position previews last week, or uh, I guess they came out earlier this week on Monday, and Jose Abreu was my pick for a first base bust. And part of it is just someone's got to be a bust, and there aren't a lot of good candidates at first base. Uh, you know, people aren't being really highly valued. And so I picked Jose Abreu because when you look at the numbers, you know, I explained it like he's coming off a career high in RBI that really boosted his ranking last year. He finishes the number eight fantasy first baseman last year with 127 RBI or whatever it was. But he was actually like 13th through 15th in OPS among first basemen. And so if that robust RBI total isn't there, if he has 104 RBI next year, he's probably not going to be worth drafting. As the number eight first baseman. And I just had a bunch of people like, how could you say Jose Abreu is a bust? And it's like, well, read it. It's right there. There's about yeah. 150 words. This, this is how I can say it. Yeah, I like actually I, took time to wrote it, right? Yeah. To write it. And probably a lot more time than we'll spend on this Twitter exchange. So exactly. Although, you why, know. Don't, why don't you go check that out? Oh, by the way, you say it's hard to find a bust at first base. Two of my 12 busts are first basemen. Oh, actually, three of my wow. 12 busts are first basemen. So, so that's in a my little face. tease for you right there. All right, we will not be talking much first based on today's podcast, though, because we will be talking about outfield and starting pitcher tiers. That's right, we're going to try to get through both of the most robust positions in fantasy in one episode. Uh, Before we do that, though, we do actually have uh, quite a bit of news to talk about. Uh, Before we get to that, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com is the email address if you want us to read your emails on the show. 
Don't think we're going to have uh, any time for that today because of the aforementioned uh, outfield and starting pitcher tiers. But tomorrow's podcast, Friday's podcast, tons of opportunities for emails, fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. And now the injuries, news, and notes. Two Cincinnati Reds notes to start off with. They signed Nicholas Castellanos, which initially created a lot of consternation in the fantasy community about who would play where and how much playing time would be available for whom. And then we found out today that Eugenio Suarez had shoulder surgery. Uh, he was roughhousing in the pool, I guess, and had to have some cartilage removed from his shoulder. <laughs> yeah, He will be limited to start spring training. The hope is that he will be ready. I believe the quote was near the start of the regular season. Mm-hmm. which yeah. does not engender a, a ton of confidence that he will be ready for the start of the regular season. Yeah. So I think you have to assume that Eugenio Suarez... Was, I think it was a hedge on the part of the Reds' PR department there. Um, I, I don't think this really relieves any of the consternation because uh, Nick Kroll, the Reds' GM, was asked about, uh, okay, will, will this make Nick Senzel a possibility at third base to begin the year. And he basically said no. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and like, there's a lot that goes into that. Obviously they're trying to establish Senzel as an outfielder and moving him back and forth. Isn't going to help with that. Senzel himself is coming off a shoulder surgery, a more significant one. Uh, Suarez is removing some loose cartilage. Senzel was repairing a torn labrum. So I think it's, Possibly even more likely Senzo won't be ready for the start of the season than Suarez won't be ready for the start of the season. Uh, and that's maybe why... There, there's a number of theories as to why the Reds went out and added two outfielders to what already seemed like a full deck this yeah. offseason, both Nick Castellanos, and he's back to being Nick now, he's by the Nick way, again. not Nicholas. Yeah. And uh, the other one being Shogowaki. Akiyama, I yes. think, going off memory. Yeah. Sh yeah, Shogo Akiyama. Um, and one of them is that. Is Senzel even going to be ready for the start of the season? So, yeah. I mean, Suarez, if we want to talk about that more, I think it makes sense to downgrade him a little just because it's an excuse to downgrade a third baseman because who, wherever you rank anybody, it feels too low at that position. <laughs> Uh, but I think ultimately he'll be fine. I, I think, I think it's not a structural are... issue. Right. Right. Uh, so, you know, I said we weren't going to have any emails. Jack did email us after the Castellanos signing. What are we make? What are we to make of Nick Senzel after this Castellanos signing? Will he get any playing time? Would you keep Aristides Aquino over Nick Senzel in a head to head categories league? And, you know, I think that's a somewhat interesting question. Um, I also don't think either is necessarily uh, a must-draft player, certainly in a head-to-head -head points league with only three outfield spots. Yeah, although this is a keeper scenario, which maybe changes the math a little. I think the big loser in the Nick Castellanos signing, signing is Aquino. Yeah. He seems like he would be uh, the lowest priority to fit into that outfield Obviously, Castellanos is top priority. He's going to play every day, no doubt. I think once Senzel establishes that he's healthy, though, he's probably second in the pecking order just because of his pedigree and the upside being... And the ability to play center field. 
Yeah, and he can play center field, sure. Um, the upside presumed to be so high. Uh, I actually, back when I thought the playing time was going to be similar, I actually ranked Aquino ahead of Senzel because I think, particularly for this format, 5x5, five five, I think Aquino stands a better chance of making a, an impact in home runs and, and maybe even a bigger impact in stolen bases than Senzel. But, uh, you know, I'm going to put... In addition to those two, Castellanos and, and Senzel ahead of him in the packing order, I would also put Akiyama ahead of him. I would put Jesse Winker ahead of him. Aquino still has minor league options. And he's already, well, he's about to be 26. So I don't really know what the future holds for Aquino. I, I think from a keeper perspective, he's a very risky option, even though he had a pretty good showing in his first taste of the majors last year. Although it was one really great month and then one sort of disastrous month so it, yeah it's, it wasn't as extreme as like austin riley yeah but it, there was a little bit of that there yes all right some of the other news the diamondbacks traded for starling Marte. arrow pointing up for starling Marte. sure i mean if nothing else the supporting cast i, I think uh arizona plays pretty fair now since the introduction of the uh the humidor but yeah. Pittsburgh Pittsburgh is really bad for one-handedness of hitter. Do you remember which it is? Think is it's it righties lefties. or lefties? I think it's lefties, but it could yeah. be righties. There's roughly a 50-50 chance. <laughs> um, I don't know. The stock the same as far as Marte goes. If anything, like from a deeper league perspective, I'm disappointed because this really limits the the chances of Josh Rojas yep. having a significant role and Kevin Crone having a significant role. Looks like he might be in the mix at third base. Now Cattell Marte moves to second. Eduardo Escobar takes over at third. Those seem pretty locked in there with Marte in center. Uh, uh, Starling Marte in center. Um, oh, man, we got two Marte. Both the Martes on the same team now. That's fun. <laughs> uh, and then also, like, Jake Lamb. I know he was terrible statistically coming back from the injury, but that guy... His exit velocities were crazy. He hit the ball so hard. I had some hope for him, too, in a deeper league setting, and it just seems like he's going to get buried now. All right. Uh, John Heyman reports that a Mookie Betts trade seems more likely and uh, could happen soon. And, and honestly, I hope we just, we just rip the bandage off. You know, you got to really, when you've got a team as bad as the Red Sox are, you know, <laughs> there's no point wasting a talent like Mookie Betts. And I'm obviously being sarcastic because I think the last yeah. time I was on this podcast, I said that I think they could win 95 games, and it wouldn't really surprise me. And so, you know, you got to tear I, down a, a loser like that. Yeah, I think there might be some gamesmanship going on here through John Heyman. He's, he's just a, a, a puppet in their game because based on, based on some of what we're hearing, the Padres are offering up for Mookie Betts. Uh, I don't think it's going to get it done. Buster Olney was saying they're dangling Man Manuel Margot out there. Like, that's some great prize Ooh. now. Um, yeah, I think especially since it's not like the Red Sox don't have anything to play for. I, I, I don't know. Look, I'm not a baseball insider, but it, I, I don't know that it's that close based on some of the names we we're hearing floated out there. But, you know, obviously these things can change quite suddenly. Seems unlikely that anything will happen on the Nolan Arenado front. Uh, Nolan Arenado kind of walked back his, uh, his comments that he was a little annoyed about being included in, in, in trade conversations. It sounds like the two sides are, 
are willing to work together, so doesn't seem like he's going to be on the move. You can move him back up your draft board. And, you know, frankly, we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago when the, when the news first broke. It doesn't seem, I, I didn't think, you know, there, there was too much to move him down for uh, as of yet anyway. So, you know, I, I think if you can get him in the second round, you're thrilled with that outcome, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, I still have him as my number one third baseman in Roto, so mm-hmm. I would be open to taking him late first there. Uh, by the way, we probably should mention that another theory for why the Reds signed Nick Castellanos is Nick dangling Nick Senzel as trade bait, and he would yes. be more attractive trade bait than somebody like Manuel Margot. The Reds have been rumored to be in pursuit of both of the big shortstops on the market this offseason, Francisco Lindor and Corey Seager, and it seems like Senzel would be a reasonable centerpiece for such a deal. But that's the only scenario by which I see them trading Senzel. And, uh, you know, I, I, think we would hear, I think we would hear more rumblings before that came to pass, too. All right, some other notes to go through. We'll go through them quick. Luis Arias injured his wrist in winter ball in Mexico. He returned to the States uh, for evaluation. We haven't seen anything on that, but something to keep an eye on because he was a uh, you know someone that I definitely liked as a sleeper coming into the season. He hasn't really done much at the major league level, but uh, still has put together very, very good numbers in AAA. Dusty Baker will probably be the Astros manager. There were some conflicting reports but it sounds like they are working towards a deal i think that's a a great signing um and uh you know maybe it makes the astros run a little more you know he he's a still a bit of an old school guy he doesn't you know quite deserve the reputation as an old fuddy-duddy that he has but you know he definitely does uh you know he likes to play a little more small ball so we could see you know some more stolen bases scattered throughout the astros lineup the Cubs signed Steven Souza. Not sure there's anything there left. $1 million deal. Red Sox re-signed Mitch Moreland for you AL-only types. Nationals re-signed Ryan Zimmerman for you 40-team types. And Christian Yelich is fully healthy, he said, at the, I don't know what they call it, Milwaukee Brewers Fan Fest of some sort. And that's a great sign because he is coming back from that, uh, I believe it was a fractured knee. And there's a little bit of concern I know you've expressed some of that in the offseason about, you know, whether he'll run as much. He was leading the, the National League in stolen bases, I believe, at the time of his injury. You know, whether he'll continue to run at a 30 or 40 uh, steel clip, which was the pace he was on last year. Yeah, though I express concern for everybody when it comes to are they going to run as much. You're a very it's just like my person. default stance. Did you're- a guy run last year? Well, maybe he won't as much this year. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I, I, you're you're very concerned, Scott. I'm very concerned about everybody's stolen base potential, yes. All right, let's move on to the outfield tiers, and there are a ton of players in the outfield because you got to start at least three in nearly all leagues, and in a bunch of those leagues, I know you guys are starting five. So there's going to be a ton of outfielders to go through, and let's start off with the Super Elite tier. And this is not just the Super Elite tier, for the outfield position. This is the super elite tier for the fantasy world, right, Scott? Yeah, these five are the most likely five to go one through five. Mike Trout, Christian Yelich, Ronald Acuna, Cody Bellinger, and Mookie Betts. And uh, 
you know, I, you and I are both on the Mike Trout for number one bandwagon. There's Acuna no, seems to be the consensus for a Roto yeah. League. Acuna seems to be the consensus. To a certain extent, I think you could throw a five-sided coin and whichever side of that impossible coin it comes up on, I think you'd be pretty happy with the outcome. This is, uh, you know, any five, any of these five, Mike Trout, Christian Yelich, Ronald Acuna, Cody Bellinger, and Mookie Betts, they're going to go top five in your league unless Garrett Cole sneaks in there. And any of them could finish number one overall. Let's move on to the yeah. next tier. Oh, well, let me just let me just say that Garrett Cole probably should sneak in there in a points league. Sure. In fact, Ronald Acuna, the consensus number one in Roto, was the sixth guy off the board in the head-to-head points draft we just did earlier tonight because uh, Cole snuck in there ahead of them. And him, and obviously, the thing that sets Acuna apart—the fact that he nearly had 40 steals last year—he seems like the safest bet for steals among these five outfielders. Mm-hmm. Although they're all pretty good bets for steals. Uh, that obviously doesn't matter as much in a points league, so Acuna slips for for the other areas where he falls short. All right, moving into the elite tier, why don't you tell me who's your favorite player to draft out of this bunch? Juan Soto, J.D. Martinez, Charlie Blackman, Cattell Marte, Aaron Judge, George Springer, and Starling Marte. Starling Marte gets a little asterisk. He's only there in a roto. You move him down a tier in a points league. Who's your favorite among that group? Well, my favorite is Juan Soto. and I mean, they are listed in the order that I rank them. But you know what I'm asking, Scott? Who are you most likely to draft among this group? I didn't know what you were asking. I, I suspect I will have the most shares in Charlie Blackman because I don't know what it is that's causing him to fall and go in the fourth round on average when he's coming off the same kind of season Charlie Blackman always has. Great source of batting average, ton of runs, the power's good. Yeah, he doesn't run as much as he did in his prime, but that's you know, that wasn't causing us to downgrade him before. He's just been so consistently a first, second round type over the years. I don't understand why perception has changed so much regarding him. He's getting a little older, sure, but the production hasn't fallen. So and Charlie Blackman field and Charlie Blackman will turn 34 uh, on July 1st. So that's part of it. Part of it is also, like you said, he doesn't run as much. He stole two bases last year. It was the first time ever, basically, since he's been a regular. He hasn't stolen at least 12. Um, So that is a concern. You know, the batting average, everything did kind of bounce back from, you know, a down 2018, but a down 2018 for Charlie Blackman. He still calls course field home. So I'm right there with you. If he's just a four-category stud, that's still pretty good. I'm not sure there's that big of a difference, uh, you know, in the production that you would expect between him and Juan Soto. You know, maybe a few more home runs, maybe more RBI, but, you know, I think the overall package is going to be very similar for those guys. By the tra- According to the traditional five-by-five five categories, it seems like, it seems like Juan Soto... Uh, well, I, I kind of no. That's not. Never mind. I was gonna say it seems like Juan Soto might actually have to improve a little to live up to the typical Charlie Blackman season. But I, I do think Soto has a little bit of an edge power wise. I don't know. I don't know. It's close. It's close, like you said. It's, and 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 the fact that Soto sometimes goes late in the first round while Blackman's still there in round four is yeah. 
a head scratcher because of that. And, and and I'll throw in that I'm I'm happy to take JD Martinez at his ADP 22nd overall in that elite tier. You know, I think there's some concern that he is. You know, he's getting up there in age, just like Charlie Blackman is. the The power numbers weren't what you expect last year, but that was actually mostly just a slow start. And um, you know, I think in the second half he had 18 home runs in in 60 something games. So, you know, that's more like what we're expecting. Now I know full season statistics are more predictive than half season statistics or partial season statistics. But in JD Martinez's case, the track record is so strong that the fact that he bounced back to where we expect him to be makes me fully on board for him. And yeah, I I like that you ha- I like when you have to defend yourself from yourself, like you just <laughs> did. All right, let's move on to the near elite tier where we've got Whit Merrifield, Chris Bryant, Bryce Harper, Joey Gallo. Austin Meadows, Jorge Soler, Michael Brantley, and Jeff McNeil. And I believe Michael Brantley moves down a tier in Roto. Is that correct? That's how I have it here. Yes. That's how I have it here. I'm a big Jorge Soler fan. You are. Obviously, to tier him with these players. Um, I'm not there. That's fine. I get why you are. It's definitely one of those cases of kind of a mid-career breakout and... By and large, the fantasy analysis community is hesitant to buy into it, but it's it's really backed up by the production. And specifically, I like what he did in the second half, cutting cutting way down on the strikeout rate. The line drive rate went way up. He gave himself so much more batting average potential um, with the way he with with the way he improved there. That I I I kind of see him as a better version of Giancarlo Stanton at this point, like similar in terms of how hard he impacts the ball, but with more hope that he's not just going to get eaten alive by strikeouts. That's, that's kind of where I am with Solaire. So a couple of questions. Okay. One, what is the difference in terms of skill set, if not outcome last year between Fran Mil Reyes and Jorge Solaire? Well, Framil Reyes, Framil Reyes doesn't strike, strike out, out more, right? Does he? They were both in like the twenty-five to twenty-seven percent range, I believe. Both had elite batted ball metrics. Both play in not great parks and not great so, lineups, but Framil should be in a better lineup in a better park. So Framil Reyes' strikeout rate was twenty-eight point five last year, um, which is very high. Very high. Solaire for the season, it was only like 22 in the second half. That's one of the things that has me so encouraged. For the season, it was 26.2, which itself is it's about notably less strike- than 28.5. About 12 strikeouts over the course of 600 plate appearances. This is not nothing, but you know yeah. the difference in ADP is you know maybe 100 spots. Um, it's about Let 70. me see here what else I could say about the difference. I did not come to talk about that. Framil Reyes does hit the ball very hard. Uh, the launch angle looks pretty weak. Uh, XBA 264, XWOBA 360, both of those are, well, I mean, the XWOBA is, is, is solid there. Um, Not okay, that so far. There. So 264, 360 for Framil versus 277, 392 okay. for Solaire. Solaire actually had a top... 15 or top 20 ex-woba it looks like 
Okay, so, so Reyes wasn't as good. That's fine. That's he wasn't fine. as good. I'll grant no. you that. Wouldn't you rather pay a 14th round price on Chris Davis with a K, who for four years was basically what we're hoping Jorge Soler can be, wouldn't you rather just wait? I, I'm just saying my problem with taking Jorge Soler in the in the 70 range, my problem with ranking him, and you know, I have the luxury of not actually having to do ranks, so I can just pick apart everybody else's mm-hmm. rankings. Uh, but at 76th overall, and you know, a little higher uh, on fan tracks, looking at Fantasy Pro's consensus ADP, I just feel like there are guys who can do what I think Jorge Soler will do. Mm-hmm. And maybe they'll do it 90% as well. Or in Chris Davis with a K's case, you know, he did it the year before exactly as well. Lower batting average than you're hoping for Jorge Soler. But... Well, it depends on what you think Jorge Soler is. If you think Jorge Soler is just basically a slugger and doesn't bring much else to the table, I can understand that. But yeah, I, I don't, he... like, I'm tearing him with Chris Bryant and Bryce Harper and... Uh, you know, like Austin Meadows, because I think he has like MVP caliber potential. I think he can be a solid source of batting average on top of just the power. So that's, that's a big difference there too. It's Chris Davis, even when we trusted him to hit a lot of homers, which we don't anymore. Maybe some of us do. I don't. Yeah, you know, he was, he, I it was kind of a joke. He'd hit 243 or whatever it was every year. 247. 247. Like show some respect. hitting God. It was clearly a limited skill set where he really just did that one thing very well. And I think Jorge Soler has has offered us the first glimpses of having a much more well-rounded skill set than that. And maybe that's an optimistic way of looking at what he did in the second half. Like you like to say, full season statistics more predictive than partial season statistics. Well, yeah, he was kind of just a guy. In the first half of the season. Like, he hit a ton right. of home runs. He hit 23 homers right. in the first 91 games. He had right. an 805 OPS and a 307 on base percentage. He hit 240. So that's a lot of weight going on a second half, playing for a bad team in meaningless games. And I, I don't know how much to put on that, but... It's I, just that the changes in the batted ball profile were wholesale. It wasn't just yeah. one thing that my maybe I could dismiss as a fluke. It was... Uh, and, you know, I make a similar argument for Marcus Simeon, why I'm so confident in him uh, continuing to perform like a stud and not just writing the year off as a fluke. Yeah, I would just, uh, I would caution that uh, coming off Giancarlo Stanton's uh, breakout season, you compared Jorge Soler and said you think he might be even a better version of Giancarlo Stanton. You know, he struck out 163 times in 159 games, took this big step forward as a contact hitter, and then... The following year, his average drops only 15 points, but he strikes out 50 more times. And the strikeout rate basically regressed to where it had been. So I'm just, this is a difference in philosophy. I'm more so even than I think the industry as a whole, which, as you said, is less likely to buy into the breakouts, you know, the mid-career breakouts. I'm much more, uh, I'm going to regress guys harder to where they've been. Um, and you know, that means I could miss out on a big Jorge Soler breakout. So, but bringing this back to the tier concept, I mean, the idea is, and it comes down to your own level of comfort. I get that. But the idea is if you have these Jorge Solers, um, 
mixed in with these guys that you know are going to go much sooner. It makes it obvious where you're going. Like it makes it makes you obvious. It makes it obvious during the draft as it's playing out where the value is for you. Yeah, you're and gonna wait like, on. I'm, I'm not reaching for Jorge Soler. Yeah. All right, the next best things after the near elite tier are our buddy Giancarlo Stanton, whose uh, ADP has taken a significant hit this season, 61st overall so far. And then Tommy Pham, Max Kepler, Victor Robles, only in an NL only league, and it is worth noting. Oh, with only Victor, in a Roto League, you mean? Roto League, sorry. And, and in Victor Robles' case, it's worth noting that the Nationals have talked about batting Trey Turner third this season, which would presumably push Victor Robles into the leadoff spot and potentially create uh, a lot of run opportunities and potentially opportunities for him to run more um, and get those stolen base numbers higher. Also in this tier, Eddie Rosario, Trey Mancini, Michael Conforto, Marcelo Zuna, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Ramon Laureano, Andrew Benintendi, Nicholas Castellanos, and David Dahl. Big tier, obviously. Big these tier. these outfield and starting pitcher tiers they're gonna they're gonna yeah. wear me out. I'm gonna be out of breath trying to go through right. them. But and I'm uh, not sure who stands out for you. Well, who stands out for you is what I really want to know because <sighs> for me, like it gets tricky when you get this many names as a t- in a tier, and I don't want to like over tier the position and and make it so sure. So uh, I'll point out, um, I am. Philosophically, just like I said, I'm more likely to regress the mid-career breakouts to their previous, you know, not all the way. I don't think Jorge Soler is going to be a guy who you can't play. But, you know, I'm more likely to try to buy a guy when they're on the downswing. And so that, to me, puts someone like Andrew Benintendi, who I really didn't have any interest in drafting last year. Um, You know, he's definitely on my radar. Someone like Giancarlo Stanton, for sure. And then I'll also throw out you know, Max Kepler doesn't fit in with that group, but I really do buy what Max Kepler did last season. I think the breakout was mostly legitimate, and the biggest reason for that is you look at 2018, he had a bad year. But if you actually looked at the splits and you looked under the hood, there were signs that he had figured out how to hit lefties. And the actual problem with him in, in uh, 2018 was, if I'm remembering correctly, he couldn't hit righties in 2018, which is strange for a guy who hits lefty and then he comes back in 28 2019 and all of a sudden he can hit both of them and he's really good and so that's that's what I really like about Max Kepler is there were signs of the breakout before the breakout actually happened yeah I'm I'm feel pretty good about Kepler I feel like I'm higher on him than the industry as a whole I'm, I'm not totally understanding why he gets uh kind of disregarded yeah. why ADP there's so is, much why there's so much distance between him and Eddie Rosario. Yeah, his ADP is 136th overall. Right. And he obviously performed much better than that last year. He's not much help in batting average. He's mostly just power, uh which is surprising cuz he doesn't strike out much, but um it does fit because he's such an extreme fly ball hitter. So it's he's he's decide like He's not going to surprise, I think, with like MVP caliber production when really any of the players in the first three tiers, uh, I think, could or they helped so much in steals that you just had to tier them that high. Uh, so this tier, 
you know, if you compare the next best things, which is what I call this tier, to what it to to what it means for other positions, it's like Yoan Mokata and Matt Chapman at third base. It's mm-hmm. like uh, Mike Bustakis and Eduardo Escobar at second base, Paul Goldschmidt and Reese Hoskins at first base. Like it's it's still it's still quality players, but there there's usually a flaw of some kind that uh, that knocks them back a tier. Um, for somebody like Kepler, it's the, the obvious limits on the batting average potential. For guys like Stanton and Benintendi, obviously there's some risk there based on the seasons they just had. Marcelo Zuna, I guess, kind of the same thing. And then Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, they're just, we're kind of assuming that they're going to take the steps they need to to join this group. And, and potentially they could surpass this group, but since, you know, obviously they're not as proven it would be unfair to tier them higher than this. Yeah, so that's say, kind of how I break this one down. I'm not really with you on Ben Benintendi, especially, actually, Stanton, Ben Benintendi, and Tommy Pham, though for different reasons, are all on my bust list. Uh, not to give it all away, but... You've given most of it away now, Scott. <laughs> yeah, like, Ben Benintendi... There's just... nothing... In his batted ball profile from a year ago that gives to- me optimism. Totally agree it's with just, you. It's just totally, okay, this guy was a top pedigree yeah. or high pedigree top prospect who looked pretty good when he first started his career. So surely he'll bounce back, right? I I don't really see the need to take that leap when there's this caliber of hitter still available in the draft. Like there are so many hitters that you can count on to be a positive, to be positive contributors to you. And I'm just not sure the upside, even in a best case scenario where he gets it all back is enough to, to justify the investment in Benintendi here. I I just look at it this way. He was someone who last year was being drafted in the top 40 Mm -hmm. and I can probably get him a hundredth overall, maybe a little bit later. I'm not going to reach for him. I'm not going to look at him at 80th overall and say, now, that's a guy I have to get. But the further he starts the fall, to fall, the more likely I am to take that plunge. Because there is the potential here. You know, we saw it in 2018. He was a, let's call him a four and a half category guy. You know, 16 home runs, nothing to write home about. But 290 average, but, 103 runs, 87 RBI. It's it's a sum of, it's a, the the whole is, you know, maybe the the individual pieces don't look all that great. But when you add it all up. Like that's a really but it, good but it was play. mostly first half too. That's that's another thing. 2018 second half for Benintendi, he had two homers, he had four mm-hmm. steals. I, so look, I was combined I was, last year with the second half, it's like something like 750 at bats where he's like a 15-15 guy. I was, like he looks like Nick Markakis. I was the anti-Benintendi guy last year, if you'll recall. I know. Uh, so you know. I know. Part of it is like it's easy to just kind of pull. Oh. He's going outside the top 100, Andrew Benintendi is. So, you know, I'm not reaching for him. Let's just shoot for the upside exactly. there. But it's like there are so many hitters who you actually know are good going that late. It's it's just it's just there's there's so many hoops you have to jump through, like so many mental hurdles. Sounds the, like you should drop Andrew Benintendi lower. Or so many mental hurdles adapting to this new world where, like, there are just quality hitters as far as the eye can see. And 
sort of the the uh, the methods you leaned on in the past don't really apply anymore. I'm having trouble with it too. I just we just did that head-to-head points mock earlier today, where five of my first seven picks were pitchers, and it was the most like I did that because I was so disappointed in the way the previous draft worked out, where I think two of my first three picks picks were pitchers, and it's still like. Oh, look at all these hitters spots I already have filled and it's the middle of the draft and there's still great hitters left and there's no pitchers. Like crap. But I, I feel like I feel like that's where we are now. Where where once you get past like the first two or three rounds of hitters, it's like sixteen rounds of hitters that could that are basically all the same in terms of what they could deliver. It's just degrees of confidence at that point. No, that's fair. That's fair. For me, it's it's just a value thing. <clears throat> it's just an opportunity to take someone who's on the downswing and, and see if they'll bounce back. Because, you know, yes, there are guys who can hit 33 home runs in that range. But there aren't that many guys who can realistically go 20-20. And Benintendi hasn't been that guy in a year and a half, like you said. That's totally correct. But, you know, a lot of the guys that you're drafting in that range who could give you great overall production or, or good overall production... Um, they're not going to steal bases. They're probably not going to hit for, for average. And the guys that do hit for average aren't going to do the other things. And so, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for me to take someone who can be a five-category contributor at that spot. And, you know, looking at the fallback options and, and beyond that in your tiers, you know, it, it starts to get dicey with playing time. It starts to get dicey with skill sets. So, you know, let's look at that tier. Um, mm-hmm. But it does sound like to me you should probably move Andrew Benintendi down a tier. Uh, into the fallback options, which is Kyle Tucker, Aristides Aquino, Yasiel Puig, Danny Santana, Kyle Schwarber, Willie Calhoun, Garrett Hampson, and Mark Canna. And I know who your favorite in this tier is, and it's Mark Canna. Love Mark Canna, yes. I think people who, you know, they're the majority of the fantasy baseball playing world pays attention like April through June, right? Really, about the time we get to the all-star break, people start to tune out, whether because they're preparing for their fantasy football draft or they're just not in contention or they just get bored, whatever. And th- they can miss out on things like I don't know who you're talking about, Scott. They can miss out on things like Mark Canna, who, uh, although he has this reputation as being a platoon guy, he became an everyday player for the last three and a half months or so and was better than he's ever been before. Actually, despite his reputation as the platoon guy had better numbers against right-handed pitchers than lefties last year. And when I say better numbers, I'm talking about OPS over 900 reached base at nearly a 40% clip, like a profile that looks an awful lot like Michael Conforto. Um, even if we're regressing the numbers a little bit. So I am perfectly happy even in a three outfielder league with Canna as my starting outfielder, and he's a guy who uh, often falls. Like I think his I think his ADP is just barely inside the top 300. So uh, it, three yeah. outfielder leagues, he might go undrafted, which is crazy to me, but also a testament to where we are with the hitter pool right now. Um, like you said, this is a really murky group. Yasiel Puig doesn't have a job yet. Aristides yeah. Aquino. I'm going to drop him out of this tier because he might begin the year in the minors. Uh, Garrett Hampson barely hit last year, right up until the last month of the season, basically. Uh, 
Yeah, he blew up at the end with a mechanical adjustment. And Kyle Schwarber was amazing in the second half of the uh-huh. season, but we've been bit by Kyle Schwarber many, many times before. Yeah. Danny Santana, StatCast All-Star, uh, even before last season, actually, if you look at his StatCast numbers, he's a guy who profiled as someone who really should have been uh, much better than he was, and so you know, you have to kind of ask whether he'll revert to being that guy, and you know, I, yeah. I'll I'll throw out Kyle Tucker. I, I I'm really happy to draft Kyle Tucker this year. You know, I think there's some prospect fatigue, and you know, like, you know, he, he doesn't have an everyday job right now confirmed, but I'm willing to bet with the price cheap enough that he'll get there. And this is a guy who's gone. You know, I think he went thirty thirty last year in a, in a quote unquote down year in the minors. It's. I, I think he is the player most affected by the regime change for the Astros because they just seem to be playing it so cautiously with him, the old one. And the plan last we heard was that he was going to work out at first base where he's seemingly more blocked than in the outfield. Mm-hmm. So obviously now completely new management structure. Who knows what's in store for him? But he's old enough and proven enough, basically have been a stud the past two years at AAA that – and it was great last September when he got the call. He performed great in the majors. So I feel like now is his time. Josh Reddick, there's no reason for them him, them to stick with him in the outfield. Uh, it, it, it remains to be seen, but there's definitely post-type sleeper appeal here for Kyle Tucker. All right, and let's move on to the last resorts. I'm not going to go through all the names because there's a bunch of them, but just give me, you know, yeah. Nick, Nick Senzel, we already talked about. Framil Reyes, we know I like him. Who's a guy yeah. in, in this tier, in this last resort's tier, that you really like? And these are all on cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. If you actually look in the right rail in the covers, you'll see the outfield tiers right there. You can go and, uh, you know, maybe I should have said that at the beginning of the podcast, but you can follow along with us. And uh, you can find all the other positions there. Who's yep. a guy in this tier that you really like? J.D. Davis. In fact, I think he probably needs to move up to the next tier because... Uh, it's it's just pretty obvious he's going to have a more consistent role than he did last year. He played every day late in the year and and did great 300-ish batting average 900 just 900-ish OPS as an everyday player. Lefty righty splits are great. The supporting stats, I mean, he actually underperformed his XBA and XWOBA. So um I think on our last podcast, the last time the two of us podcasted together anyway, what I, I said he was the most, the breakout pick I was most confident in. And uh, if that's the case, I do need these tiers to better reflect that. Move him up. Come on. Don't yeah, worry about consensus. Move, move him up. Yeah, I will. All right. We're going to move on to the starting pitcher tiers uh, and spend the last probably 25 minutes of this episode going through that. But like I said, if you want to see the rest of Scott's outfield tiers, if you want to follow along with the starting pitcher tiers, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball, and you'll find them all right there. And the super elite tier at starting pitcher, you should be very familiar with because it's Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, and Jacob deGrom. You could see all four of those guys go in the first round in pretty much any league format. It's not a guarantee, but it's pretty likely. Um... Is there a gap between them, or is this like the super elite tier at, at outfield, where they're all pretty bunched up? They're all pretty bunched up. The 
fourth of them for me, Jacob deGrom, I've seen go first in a couple leagues. I know Heath has said he would rank him first. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 bunchy there. I go with Cole because I feel like he kind of cleared the the uh, the hurdle in terms of how deep he pitches into games in late last year, so that Verlander and Scherzer don't really have that edge on him anymore. And he's obviously a lot younger than those two. So I don't know how the change exactly how the change from going from Houston to the Yankees is going to impact him. Nobody does, obviously, but um, I do think they're going to stick like they stick for Char- stuck for Charlie Morton, and it's really just a matter of adjusting to the the whole New York scene and the venue, which I think he'll handle fine. He's going to miss so many bats. I'm not really worried about it. So I have Cole first, but there are there's some disagreement there within the fantasy community. You know, I, I agree, Scott. You know, James Paxton stuff is just so good that I, I really don't think Yankee Stadium's going to bother him. What? Sorry. You cut out. Yeah. No, Cole's better than Paxton. Come on. Of course he's better. I'm just doing a bit, Scott. Yeah. Let's move on to the elite they tier. They came back to bite you. And if the super elite tier is like a beautiful symphony, the elite tier is sort of like the cartoon where the music all just kind of comes crashing down and there's a cacophony because, you know, super elite tier, these guys are so good. And then the elite tier, you started off with a guy who we couldn't even figure out if he was worth starting last year, and that's Chris Sale. Then you go Mike oh, Clevenger. I was never down on Chris Sale. Well, you should have been because he wasn't that good. Chris Sale, Mike <laughs> well, Clevenger, depending on how you we'll talk him. about it. Mike Clevenger, Shane Bieber, Jack Flaherty, Walker Bueller, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, Lucas Giolito, and Luis Castillo. This is a fascinating tier, and it is the tier I will probably draft the least of this season because it's the guys that you kind of have to pay ace price for a lot of guys who I'm not convinced are aces either yet or Well, that's why you need more of them, Chris. That's that's basically how I've decided to handle this. I want this tier and the next tier, basically. I want to form the majority of my pitching staff. If I can get five of them total, that would be ideal. And, and obviously that includes the Cole Verlander, the Grom yeah. Scherzer group too, but I'm, you're less likely to get those because that kind of depends on draft order. But obviously they're, they're, they would be fine too. It's really, let's see, how many pitchers is it total? It goes through you Darvish, which I think is just above 20. It's like 22 pitchers. Yeah. Um, I, I uh, will just I, say, and you can answer the same question, but the player that I'm most likely to draft from this tier, and again, Chris Sale, Mike Clevenger, Shane Bieber, Jack Flaherty, Walker Bueller, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, Lucas Giolito, and Luis Castillo. I'm actually most likely to draft Chris Sale the guy who I was chicken little about uh, last year. Well, you'll have to do a late, use a late second, early third round pick to it's get him. 35th overall it, right now. And at okay, that so price, that would be a late third. I love it. In our, in our in-house mock drafts, I haven't seen him go that late yet, but, you know, obviously ADP is ADP. So, um, okay. That's fine. I mean, that early in the draft... It's taking on a lot of risk. There, well, sure, but any any high end pitch, any pitcher is going to be taking on some risk. 
I, I'm confident in it because, like, in terms of XFIP, in terms of swinging strike rate, Sale was as elite as he has ever been. He was up there with Cole and and all the best in baseball. So uh, there was some weird stuff going on with velocity. And he was a he was a one pitch pitcher last year. Was the thing? If you look into uh, the the results against his pitches on Baseball Savant, it was basically the slider was great and the sinker was okay, and that was basically it. He was getting lit up, and so like he just. Chris Sale, you know, I, I know the swing strike rate was elite, and that was because he threw a slider just a ton. Uh, I know the XFIP was good, was very good. He wasn't good last year. Like, he, he needs to pitch better in 2020 than he did in 2019, and I think he can. Uh, well, by all the ways we say a pitcher is good, he was beyond good. That's, I have a hard time reconciling that. And if you just break, if you just look at the game log, the number... Of even though he missed like a third of the season at least, right? He missed a lot of the season, yeah. and yet I think he had the second most double-digit strikeout efforts of any pitcher. Like he had some really dom, a lot of really dominant starts. So I've de- I have decided just today I decided this in real time as we were drafting earlier when I chose Shane Bieber over him that I will move Sale behind both Bieber and Clevenger, just as a better safe than sorry measure. But I'm, I'm very confident in Sale and his ability to bounce back. Um, what I really want to say about the starting pitchers tier is not not to abruptly change course here. Is it, it's they're kind of they're kind of symbolic of the way I feel about the whole tiers concept right now. Mm-hmm. In that, I feel like positional tiers aren't as helpful as they used to be because the distribution of talent across positions has become so alike, mm-hmm. right? We talk about it a lot in the infield especially. Um, and I almost think tiering for skills makes more sense. But even that, it's like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, really, I think there are only two forms of currency in the fantasy baseball landscape right now. High-end starting pitchers and stolen bases. And one of those only matters in categories leagues, of course, the stolen bases. So I'm, I'm pretty much to a point after having just done a roto draft and just done a head-to-head points draft being very disappointed when I took a more traditional approach to my roto draft being thrilled with the less conventional approach to the points draft where I took five starting pitchers with my first seven picks where early rounds, you know, except for those few exceptional hitters like Cody Ballinger, I had the sixth or fifth overall pick. I took Cody Ballinger with it. Couldn't pass him up there. But for the most part, I'm just going heavy on pitching or heavy on stolen bases there at the in, in Roto. Heavy on stolen bases. So pitching in stolen bases at the start of the draft. And then just trusting that the caliber of hitters that are going to be available in the mid to late rounds are going to present the same sort of upside as the early round guys, just like I said earlier, um, at a lower level of confidence. Does that I mean, make sense? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I get it. Um, I don't necessarily agree, but that is in keeping with our, uh, you know, the, the, the personalities that we've cultivated over the years, <laughs> Scott. Um, no, I, I, I'm more likely to pick from, you know, the nearly the next best thing group because, you know, there's a lot of guys in this elite tier. You know, I'm speaking specifically Mike Clevenger, speaking specifically Jack Flaherty, speaking specifically Steven Strasburg, and Luis Castillo. And you could throw Lucas Giolito in there. So most of the tier, where I'm not sure that they're as good as their price indicates. I I mostly believe in Chris Sale, uh, Walker Bueller, Patrick Corbin being worth, and and Shane Bieber being worth what they're going to cost. Although Shane Bieber was probably a little lucky last year too. Um... And so once you start to introduce that type of uncertainty into these elite prices, well, I'm just going to I'm just going to sit back and wait for, you know, Charlie Morton, who's probably just as good as most of the guys in this tier. Now, that's kind of cheating cuz Charlie Morton, I think stands out in that regard where I just think he's being underrated. Um, mm-hmm. and he's in that near elite tier and we can go through that. Clayton Kershaw, Aaron Nola, Blake Snell, Zach Reinke, Charlie Morton, Noah Syndergaard, Luis Severino, Tyler Glasnow, Chris Paddock, and Yu Darvish. You know, I look at Charlie Morton and what he's done over the last two years. Yes, he's 35. Yes, he's gotten injured a lot in the past. But he's made 28 starts in three straight seasons. So not really that big of an injury concern anymore. It's mostly the age. Give me Charlie Morton uh, over Shane Bieber. You know, I don't think there's that much of a difference between the two of them in terms of their skill set. I don't think there's that much no, of a difference. No, there isn't. There isn't. It's it's all age. It's it's degrees of confidence, like I was saying. Yeah, and so oh. I'm inherently less confident in starting pitchers than you are, and I think yeah. I'm in, inherently less confident in starting pitchers than the industry as a whole, and so I'll just embrace that uncertainty, take the lower price for the skill set that I think is very similar. But I don't even know that it's necessarily it, that you're less confident in it than I am. It's 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 partially be understanding that there's risk to all of these guys. You need more of them because the bigger risk is to not is to wind sure. up with none of them and to just have to manufacture a starting rotation off the waiver wire. In which case, if this year plays out anything like last year, you lose. So Kind of an offshoot of what I was saying earlier, my rant about I'm not even sure the tiers matter anymore, is if we were tiering this in a way that I think is going to reflect what I'm slowly coming around to being my draft approach for 2020, it's that probably those top 22 pitchers I was talking about, which would include the Lucas Giolito tier, it would include the Charlie Morton tier. Uh, and maybe even beyond that, maybe the next best things, which would include like Trevor Bauer, Brandon Woodruff, Sonny Gray, uh, Mike Soroka, long list of names ending with like Madison Bumgarner, Carlos Carrasco. That like tier all three of them, all, all four of those tiers together for like a big group of like 40 pitchers. And this is something I've talked about a lot. Basically, there are 40 starting pitchers who matter and then the rest apart from maybe a dozen that have yeah. real upside, don't. Yeah, I don't disagree with and that. And I just want to take as many of those as I can. And, and if I'm not consistently doing that, then I'm not going to get as many as I want. And the you only know? place you got you and I disagree on that is you're more willing to pick from the first two tiers 
or really that second tier. And I'm more interested in the third and fourth tier. I think that's the only place that well, you and I disagree. Okay. I'm more but likely mine are going to just... It may also be more a matter of how many we want. I want a bunch of them. Because the thing is, if I just waited till those later tiers where you like to choose from, I'm not going to get enough pitchers. Like the draft is going to play out as I'm choosing from that group sure. in a way that there aren't any left when it gets back to me. Sure, that's fair. So like I want at least four of those 40, preferably five. And to do that, you you have to start right away. I feel like that's um, fair. It's throwing rarely breaking from the the pitching heavy approach in the early rounds. Going back to that near elite tier, I also want to throw out uh, Noah Syndergaard and Luis Severino, two guys I love trying to catch on the bounce back. I will probably have zero shares of Tyler Glass now. I don't know how you feel about him uh, specifically, besides the fact that you rank him in this tier. Um, that's just, it's a hefty price to pay, 71st overall in ADP for, you know, a guy who really did it for a month and, and a, a week, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, he came back from the injury, and it was an elbow injury. It was a, it was a flexor strain, I believe, and the control issues were back. And he's, the stuff is still amazing. I still believe in him, but paying a 71st overall price, you know, a sixth rounder, um, you know, because he was really, really good for a month and a week. That's something I can't do, but I totally get why people do because when he was on last year, he looked like the, the single best pitcher in baseball. Yeah. Um, and I yeah, probably I get won't. it. I mean, if, if he's your number two starter, you have a reason to be worried. If you're number, he's your number four starter, which is more I, what I want him to be. Then, I mean, you could be in a position to win your league. Yeah. All right, and then the next best things. This is a tier that I love. Trevor Bauer, Brandon Woodruff, Sonny Gray, Mike Soroka, Jose Barrios, James Paxson, and Corey Kluber will break it there and just give me uh, the player you're most likely to draft from that group. I would say probably, probably Sonny Gray. I, I imagine both Brandon Woodruff and Sonny Gray I'm going to have a lot of shares in. Wrong Not because answer, I'm especially Scott. high on him, them, but just because I have lower levels of concerns about them than probably the industry as a whole does. See, I uh, think a lot of people are kind of all in on Brandon Woodruff, and I'm not there. He's a two-pitch pitcher, and neither one is a breaking ball or a changeup, which is not well, a good combination. I, I've seen a lot of people saying that. Um, because it's true. What do you mean by he's a two-pitch pitcher in terms of what he throws? No, no, in terms of... I think he throws four pitches, right? Yes. Just only one of them is great. But yeah, the fastballs are the only ones that are actually good pitches right now. Right. They, you know, he could take a big step forward, but like the swing strike rate on the slider and changeup, it's okay. But for those pitches, they're, it's both well below average and they both, you know, the, the slider doesn't get hit as hard, but the changeup gets hit pretty hard and... I'm just, it's really hard to be as fastball dependent as he is, you know, 64% fastballs uh, and not have a plus breaking pitch or a plus secondary. It's really hard. Like, you know, he's going around a hundred. It's a fair price, but it's just not one I'm willing to pay for, for, for that skill set. Again, it, 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 it's probably more of a situation where he's going to be like my number four starter than yeah. my number two starter. So you can you can accept the risk a little more just if you're going for high-end pitching volume like that. And, and for a lot of these 
for all of these pitchers, it really comes down to have they proven they can go deep into games, which he's been, he was very efficient last year. Even in the games where he didn't go deep, it's just because he got removed early, and that was mostly early in the season. And once they took the, the reins off, he was, he was pitching deep reliably, Woodruff was. And can they miss bats, which, you know, the strikeout rate was great. It is mostly on the fastball, like you said. It's pretty clear Woodruff has maybe the best fastball among all starting pitchers. Uh, that's ba- Remember that start he had in the playoffs last year? I guess it was the wild card game against the Nationals where he just overpowered them for three innings. And he was basically only throwing fastballs. That was coming back from injury, and he knew he was going to have a short uh, time on the mound so he could get away with doing that. But he he dominated the ultimate... World Series champion with just his fastball for three innings like that, which shows you how good it is. It's, he's really impressive. It's just, I need a better secondary. I, I don't know. I, I get I know it. what you say. Yeah, saying that's that's the risk with him. That's the risk with him. Is is it diverse enough? If he loses a little something on that fastball, is it all going to fall apart? I've seen the skill set compared to Matt Harvey, and that's kind of what happened for Matt Harvey. Right, yeah. lost a little on the fastball, and it all fell apart. And so maybe Woodruff doesn't have a great deal of longevity going for him. He was actually fairly low in my dynasty rankings, or, or was it my keeper rankings? One or the other, because I was kind of accounting for that, you mm-hmm. know? That maybe he doesn't have a great window of high-end production. But I think he's in that window right now. I think it's it obviously just opened for him. And I'm hoping it'll last for at least a couple years. All right, let's talk about the rest of the next best thing. Shohei Otani coming back from Tommy John surgery. Frankie Montas, Hyunjin Ryu, Lance Lynn, Zach Wheeler, Madison Bumgarner, Carlos Carrasco, and Zach Gallen. I was absolutely heartbroken that I didn't draft Carlos Carrasco in the head-to-head points draft we did today because I think he can be a cheat code for head-to-head points leagues specifically this year because he is relief pitcher eligible. And, you know, we've talked about it a a couple times already this offseason, but I think I'm willing to basically just give him a mulligan. You know, we saw something similar with uh, Tyler Glass now. When he was diagnosed with cancer midseason, it just derailed his season, and that makes sense. That That is a really good excuse for not having a good season. And so for Carlos Carrasco, you know, he's a little older than you think because he took a little while to establish himself. So he is already in his thirties, but he was so consistently good, you know, a top 15 starting pitcher for what, three years. Well, at least that's how we ranked him. Um, mm-hmm. I can get him outside of a hundred. That's a, That's an easy call. He's 118th right now in ADP. Give me all of the Carlos Carrasco, except for in the, most recent draft that we did where I didn't draft him. I want to say a couple things. I'm, I'm not a cancer expert, and so I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I feel like leukemia, that's much more pervasive and affects all of your physical mm-hmm. composition than testicular cancer would, sure. right? Does, does that make sense? I, I so I'm so. not... It's less... Oh, I need an excuse. I need an explanation for why he performed poorly last last year than it is. I'm not really sure how he's going to bounce back from this. Also, the fact he's much older than Tyone trying to bounce back from it. He's 33, Carrasco is, I think. Yeah. So he's not a young guy by baseball, well, by sports standards. Um, The other thing is, 
if we're if we're looking at this kind of like a tier of 40 which obviously I break it down as more than that but I just laid out the case for why maybe it makes sense not to somebody has to go at the back of the 40 sure. and it becomes the guys with the biggest risk factors and I think Carlos Carrasco coming back from leukemia and not really having a great concept or sure we haven't seen him yeah we, 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 we saw haven't him pitch seen many players do that yeah you know so I just really don't know what to expect. No, I, I, I get He's that. in the 40. Yeah. I'd be happy to get him if he lasts long enough. I'm just not going to be sticking my neck out for him. Sure. Who, who is your favorite among this group? And once again, it's Shohei Otani, Frankie Montas, Hyunjin Ryu, Lance Lynn, Zach Wheeler, Madison Bumgarner, Carlos Carrasco, and Zach Allen. And that's probably the last we're going to get to. But who is your favorite among this group? My favorite, uh, this was beginning with who again? Otani? Shohei Otani. My favorite is Frankie Montas. Yes. I really don't have any doubts. And maybe I should have doubts. It wasn't a long stretch of the season in which we saw him break out. And yes, he was busted for PEDs and missed a lot of time. And Good. I, I, guess, I guess we have to wonder what kind of effect that had on his performance, though historically it doesn't seem like it changes that much for most players who get busted for that. Um, but it's just like the, the changes Frankie Montas made to have the breakthrough, the interrupted breakthrough that he was having are just so tangible. Mm -hmm. Adding this splitter to his arsenal that immediately became his best pitch and helped round out his arsenal in a way that it all became better. And the ground ball rate went way up and the swinging strike rate went way up, which are the main two things I look at for pitchers. And, uh, he just he's just kind of the perfect storm of everything I like in a pitcher in this era. And yeah, this this seems like a good spot for him. Seems like a good value for him. So hundred and twenty eighth overall is his current ADP. Frankie Montas in the tenth or eleventh round. Are you kidding me, Scott White? I love it. Love it too. We're on the same page there. All right. No disagreements on Frankie Montas. We can talk about the rest of the starting pitcher tiers. Later on in the week, Scott and I will be back with two more episodes this week. Scott, thanks so much for, uh, yeah. for hopping on. Of course. I'm always here for you, Chris, or anyone else who wants to take up the hosting mantle on a given day. That really that makes me feel warm and fuzzy on a cold New York night. Thanks so much for listening. Fantasy Baseball Today, I'm Chris Towers. That's Scott White. We'll see you in a couple days.